Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am here with our wonderful producer, Dan Austin. Um, my name is Peter Engler. I'm the co-host of this show. Why God Why respond to the questions that you don't feel comfortable asking in church. We are part of the Lumavaz Network, which is out of Saddleback Church in the small group network. Today, I am really excited because I have a friend who I went to college with. Uh, He's a consultant. He's a pastor. His name is Isaac Balbin. We are talking about the question, why do I hate my job? And I'm sure that if you haven't asked that in church, you probably have asked that elsewhere. And so we're going to hit on a few very timely topics, but also this is not a timely topic. So let me take a moment to welcome our guest. Hi, Isaac. By the way, nice shirt. If you're watching us online, this is Red Shirt Day. Oh, red shirt day. Peter, great to be with you, man. Excited to be on the podcast. Awesome. Well, hey, let's get started. Why don't uh, I shared a little bit about you, but why don't you tell us your story and your faith journey and where you are today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, as you mentioned, we uh, crossed paths um, in undergrad. Actually, Peter, you were my admissions counselor. So uh, that's where we uh, crossed originally. (laughs) Um, But no, so grew up in a a faith um, environment, in a faith household, and um, came to know Jesus um, around the age of 10. Um, so spent the really the first half of my more formative years in the denominational space. Um, so a small little Methodist church in a rural hometown um, where, you know, just rhythms were really simple um, and they're just engaged with the gospel. And Jesus met me where I was at and uh, came to know him um, at a young age and uh, began to feel tugged uh, towards the local church, just loved serving um, particularly in the role of teaching, um, even at a young age, just felt compelled to, uh, to teach the Bible in whatever capacity um, was given kind of platform. Um, in my, uh, my later high school years, um, I began to, what most would call uh, maybe a call to ministry, uh, began to feel that and experience that and uh, got around some older, wiser guys uh, that were able to speak some, uh, some wisdom into me and uh, directed my steps um, uh, really away from a career path that was uh, perhaps more lucrative, right? Um, So I had dreams of uh, attending a local university and um, doing some things in the biology world, but uh, was redirected to uh, study the Bible, study theology, and uh, and here we are today. So um, married for uh, just about eight years, um, two kids, um, leading a local church, and uh, man, loving it. Mm. So... Let's kind of dive right in. That was that was the nice, you know, kind of intro that you put on your website. Um, you know, you and I, you know, connected, uh, you know, again, the years go by being an admissions counselor, but, you know, you and I have stayed in touch. But, you know, the last five years, um, I want to say, I, I think it's been like four jobs, uh, maybe something like that. But, you know, just your story is is kind of a common one in the last couple of years, especially with why do I hate my job? Why don't we just kind of dive right in, help people understand where you are and kind of what you've walked through in the last five to six years? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, really, the, I would just say the nutshell of the past five years is um, we took a lot of vocational bumps and bruises along the way. And uh, I know that translates to whatever, um, <laughs> whatever vocation you might be in right now, no matter the career path. Um, so I've been in the, the local church primarily as, um, as an executive pastor. Um, and so they're really experienced um, just a lot of just church hurt, um, burnout and anything in between in a relatively short amount of time. And so um, flashback about five years ago, um, I found myself as a, um, in, a, in an interim lead pastor position and uh, we were able to secure our who we believed was our next lead pastor. Um, he called myself and uh, our staff into his office on a Monday morning, his first day in the office and said, you have uh, six weeks to find new places to work. And so that was my first experience <laughs> with some uh, just some harder stuff that unfortunately leaks its way into the church world as well. Uh, from there, found myself in, uh, in another executive pastor role um, just outside the Pittsburgh area. And uh, unfortunately, um, at the time, our, our senior leader had a, had a moral failing um, with a, a staff member um, of our, at, our, at our main location. And uh, again, found myself in an interim seat and um, was asked to assume um, his role as lead pastor, but um, just uh, sparing the details of how messy that was, just did not feel compelled um, in that season that that was a right fit for us. And so um, from there, ended up in the megachurch space, um, and I actually call this my working sabbatical. And so, um, as you know, Peter, as uh, um, senior leadership, you, uh, you have your hands in all the pies, if you will. And that's, uh, that has been my ministry career up until that point. And so I found myself in an HR only role, uh, leading an HR department at, uh, at a mega church, not too far from where we were leading previously. Um, and there I, I really just fell in love with the idea of, of church as work, um, that it is a workplace, right? Um, and there's, there's both the missional side of what we do, um, go and make disciples, uh, fully formed disciples of Jesus, right? Um, but to get that done, it takes good, healthy employees. And it just sent me down this path of, you know, how do we achieve that? If we really do have the greatest mission in the world, shouldn't the church also be the greatest workplace? Um, I happen to think so. And so from there started my own firm um, where we help churches um, through that conversation. And so it's really beyond just functional HR type stuff. It's more of a what's it feel like to work there and how do we make this the best place to work? And so um, from there, uh, really have been in that part time functionally. Um, that's picked up a lot of speed in recent months um, and find a majority of my time having those conversations with pastors and leaders in the local church. So I, I think that that's a huge frame. We'll probably go into a little bit more, you know, personal stories with you. And, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes listeners can hear that and think like, oh, that's ministry. Like, but I, I think there's a lot, um, you know, there's a lot of people when you hire a new football coach, you fire all the staff. Um, so I, I, and when a company gets bought out, they tend to bring in their own staff. So I think that there's some similarities the reason we want to have you on this podcast is, uh, by the way, Isaac is a great LinkedIn follow. You know, we're throwing out these terms of whether you call it boundaries, the great resignation, quiet quitting. And, you know, as you sit and kind of reflect on 
some of these feel like they're new things, but they're actually reincarnated as old things. Give us kind of your sense as you consult, as you engage people, what the landscape, what's changed about working in 2022 and when this episode airs in 2023. Yeah, no, I, I think you began to allude to it there, Peter, that um, I really am more and more convinced the more conversations I have um, with ministry professionals, especially that um, this is a really old problem. The feeling of I'm burnt out. Um, I'm not enjoying my work. I'm not passionate about my work. Um, the title of this podcast, right? I hate my job. Um, those feelings are not new. I, I think what happened um, in the disruption of COVID is that work really moved from a hyper-localized um, context. Uh, so example, um, where I'm sitting today, uh, we're in a small rural community and the hub of local vocation is a major university. Um, so the majority of people that live in this town work at that place, right? Um, but just like everywhere else in the world, COVID in its disruption provided so many more opportunities uh, to be employed. Um, so work moved from a, this is the only uh, hot dog stand in town, if you will, uh, to receive a paycheck to, um, I can work anywhere in the world uh, and be compensated accordingly. And so I think with options, um, we see the great resignation, right? Terms such as that. It really, I, I'm more and more convinced it was a great shift. And even personally, um, during the time frame of COVID, I made that shift. I moved out of a NXP type role in a local church to an HR role in a different setting. And so was just feeling those feelings of, I don't know if this is for me right now. I don't know if I enjoy this anymore. Let's try something new. Uh, and there's options, right? And uh, believe it or not, even in the local church, that was a primarily work from home type situation. And so, um, yeah, man, I, I think... Um, with work changing from local to remote, it just opened up the world to people. And now they're feeling internally, I don't have to work here anymore. Um, I can go find something else I'm passionate about. And uh, again, even in the ministry spaces, we see people taking steps down the ladder um, on purpose just to safeguard more of what's valuable to them. And that's their time at home with loved ones, with friends, for hobbies or anything in between. So I, I want to go to your last comment because I, I think that that's kind of huge. So you and I have a mutual friend. He was a professor at Valley Forge. His name's Dr. Bill Clarkson. You know, we got into this conversation about quiet quitting. And, you know, so there's this verse uh, in Colossians about with everything, you know, do it all into the glory of God. And, you know, I think what you're kind of articulating is, you know, there there's a sense with your job of when is it okay to put your jacket on the hook and call it a day? So, like, I, I guess with the quiet quitting, uh, there's even the debate, is is quiet quitting, like, this decision, like, I'm just looking for my way out, I'm going to give the minimal? Is it a state where it's like, I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm not necessarily going to take more on? And and part of that is is just, frankly, our American culture you know, if, you know, 30, 40 years ago, I grew up two blocks from where IBM started. Like people were happy in their positions for like 30 to 40 years and they didn't need to be promoted. They were compensated fairly well. So I, I guess kind of going on, like taking this Christian idea, 
of work the best that you have and putting that with, hey, like, I'm going to give 40 hours. My job's not the be all end all. I mean, I guess, how are you kind of seeing all of these things kind of go together? And also the large expectations and stress of being a large organization or a small organization and trying to move the ball forward. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely become popular, the idea of quiet quitting. And um, again, I, I feel like my view of that has even been shaped a bit more um, as some time has gone by when it was first, you know, coined or brought to uh, social media platforms, especially. Um, and so I, I think this idea where um, the expectation of an employee is to um, seemingly always be on, um, of course, is not human, right? Um, and so if you talk about employee engagement and even look at, you know, recent Gallup numbers, how employee engagement seemingly is is just plummeting across industries um, in faith based spaces as well. Um, it's because these, you know, the people are feeling I, I don't want to give my entire life to this. There's more outside of what I do um, on a nine to five basis that matters and adds value to the world um, and adds value to them personally. Right. Um, and here's here's what I'm finding, even working with uh, churches of some size. Um, so several thousand in attendance, several hundred in uh, staff. Right. Um, organizations that place just as much value on developing healthy rhythms in their employees. So from manager to employee, if those are regular conversations um, in their one on one meetings, for example, um, and it's value just as well as um, your performance and your skills and your goals, things like that. Uh, there seems to be a, an uptick in overall engagement because they're seeing, you know, I'm valued as a person, um, not for just what I, I bring to the table. Right. Um, and so organizations that I think are, are really getting this um, doing this right or getting this well in this kind of new season of work uh, are putting emphasis on both. It's a both and conversation. Um, and Peter, you're on LinkedIn a lot as well. You're also a great follow. So thank you for that. Um, but companies that are even in job postings, right, are being really transparent, not only about things like salaries and things like that, but also what does it feel like to work here? Um, you're going to be honored as a person. You're going to be treated well. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be developed, not just managed, right? So I, I love what you said about rhythm. Like, get super concrete with me. Let's kind of go outside the ministry space because a ton of our listeners, you know, they're, they're kind of deconstructing they could be questioning they could be de-churched or unchurched let me let me throw throw out an accountant for a moment so like talk about what possibly is a healthy rhythm for them if you were managing someone that was an accountant what does that look like do you think just take a shot at it yeah, no, I love that, man. Um, I, again, taking that, um, the idea of valuing both and, and placing that on a day-to-day -day basis, it, I, I'd want that person to feel like we recognize the good work that you're doing within the hours that we've agreed to pay you. Right. Um, but personally, if I were managing that person, I would not be slack messaging them after five. Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't, um, because if I'm valuing healthy rhythms myself, that means I'm not going to disrupt the rhythms of others. 
Um, and so I, I'm a firm believer in the one-on-one. If so, as, as often as possible, um, for us, our, our rhythm is weekly. Um, a part of um, employee to manager conversations that I love are not only tell me, did you check off your goals for the week or what's ahead, but uh, what's something we can do this week to build in intentional rest? Hmm. Um, or what would it look like if you came in two hours late tomorrow and didn't worry about what the end of the day looked like, hmm. right? Um, so purposely setting the stage for, I, I want you to be a healthy person. Because um, at the end of the day, organizations scale because they have healthy people. Hmm they don't scale because they have high amounts of turnover. It's just impossible, right? And so I think organizations that are, are recognizing this and it's pushed to the manager level um, are really gonna be winning um, in this new year, especially. No, that, that um, man, that was super microscopic, which I think is helpful. Um, you know, it, but even as I'm listening to you, so like, I'll go back to the accountant, like their April and January or whenever the budget year starts, it's like, okay, this is going to be really rough, but we're going to intentionally celebrate or actually afterwards intentionally tell you to take a few days off. And, you know, now I'll kind of come back to the church world. We're, we're recording this before the holiday season. And like, it, it sounds even like you're asking organizations like the people usually when they hate the job the most, they're exhausted and they're tired. And it's like, hey, you just did this big thing and let's go to the next big thing and let's go to the next big thing. And I, I think you're even kind of saying, how can we, no matter what level, be aware of those rhythms? Because sometimes it's, I don't hate what I actually do. I just hate the job and dare I say, hate the organization at times. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I don't know. That That's kind of some of the things I'm processing as you're talking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, I mean, you've probably heard it said that people quit bosses, not jobs, mm. right? Um, so I think it's, um, when it's intentional, it's a part of your org's culture, um, that we often have conversations about rest, about hobbies, about free time, about spending time with family. And again, outside of the, the ministry space as well, right? Um, if those were intentional in what we would view as people development, um, I, I think it's easier to find and keep great people um, because no matter the space or the industry, when you hit that level of scale where there's always a next and a bigger, um, but to sustain that takes insane energy. Um, it's, it's just simply not sustainable if you don't have healthy people propping that up. Right. And so, again, I, I just come back to it's a level of um, intention. And to some extent, it's really just redefining what it means to be developed by the place that you work. Mm. Okay, let, let's go to the individual. Let's say one of our listeners is an entry-level person and um, you know they're in this job and I mean, obviously they're still listening because they kind of hate their job. You know, if you're sitting down with them and they're saying, should I go or should I stay? What type of questions, where are you kind of encouraging them to look? Because sometimes I wonder if we leave jobs too soon to give them the chance versus no, this really isn't a great situation. So we should probably move on. How would you coach and talk to that person at kind of that entry level? Yeah, that's a, that's a great situation. It's an area you painted, uh, Peter. I, 
Um, I'd begin with um, what's the relationship looking like between, you know, this employee and their direct report? Um, because oftentimes I think the, the frustrations that kind of fester under the surface um, are never really brought to a face-to-face -face meeting. Mm -hmm. um, there are things that we take home at the end of the day. There are frustrations we feel and we ponder. And we have those moments, you know, after the day is over where it's like, I just hate what I do. Um, I hate what it feels like to work there. Um, here's what I found, like great organizations welcome those conversations. Um, and they not only welcome them, they make changes based mm -hmm. on that feedback, right? Um, and so I would, I would really press what's feedback like between this person um, and the person they report to, right? Um, have they had conversations about uh, just a personalized growth plan? Um, what's next for me? How do I grow in my current role? And how does that morph into something with more responsibility or more aligned with my passions, right? Um, have, they, have they talked about what the, the long haul could look like, mm. um, even starting at the bottom rung, right? Um, and so I think it really comes back to, to feedback. If that's not a regular rhythm as well, um, managers really don't know their employees, right? They don't know what it feels like to work there at the level that they're at. Um, I always tell anyone in an executive or a C-suite um, type role, um, I never ask them about culture um, because they don't know. They don't want to know what it feels like to be a part of the day-to-day. -day. Um, mm. I always ask entry-level, <laughs> bottom-of-the-rung, right, um, just starting out uh, employees um, because they're the ones that actually experience what C-suite envisions. Um, but the, uh, the cool thing about that structure is I'm convinced more and more it comes down to middle managers, right? Um, mm. Middle managers are the ones who are, are ultimately responsible for creating a workplace culture. Um, C-suites set the values, right? Um, but they're only aspired values until middle managers implement them and follow up. Right. Um, and so I would for this person, I would ask about when, what does it feel like? What's it look like to have these conversations with the person you report to? So something I want to kind of come back to. Uh, so I had a mentor that used to tell me, like, if you resign um, or leave your job, it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, and and I think there's this dynamic that you're talking about about engagement, sometimes it can feel intimidating. Sometimes like just people just don't have the courage to kind of start there. Let's say you're, you know, an employee that's in a place where it's super difficult. Um, but you know, just if that advice is good advice, it shouldn't be a surprise that you resign. What might that first or second conversation, you know, look like so that instead of, like, hey, here's my two weeks notice. I got a new job. Um, what do you think that that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I a question I'm loving um, from a manager's seat lately is what am I doing that's frustrating you? Um, because I just like to set the table and allow for just utmost clarity, right? Um, so if that person is feeling like that's just not something they're comfortable with or not something maybe they've experienced yet, um, that would be the first or maybe second um, just honest conversation I would encourage. Um, and you could lead with something like, hey, I know we've never talked about this before. 
but here's what I'm feeling at work. I wanted to bring this to you first because I really want to stay and I think there's a future for me here. So help me understand how can how can we remedy some of these things or what could I do to even remedy some of these things on a day-to-day basis? So to kind of, you know, kind of taking some ownership as well. But uh, yeah, man, I, I'm more and more convinced that clarity is kindness, right? Uh, if, mm. if we're not clear about the hard things, um, and we're never going to make progress, especially in, in the place of work. No, that, that's really good. Let, let's take a step up, not to the C-suite, but let's go to the middle managers because you know, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners, there's just some odd dynamics. So you could be a 27-year-old middle manager of somebody that's 44 and already feel behind the eight ball um, or vice versa. You could be 45 and a middle manager of a 27 year old. So you just kind of gave a good tip there, which was, Hey, what am I doing? That's frustrating you. But you know, as you're consulting and as you're with middle managers, what are some of the, the great things that you're seeing that they're doing? And what are some of the common like areas of growth that you would point out for them? Yeah, some of the great things I'm seeing is there There seems to be, um, again, I'm not sure where we're at on the spectrum of the great resignation and quiet quitting and engagement. It, it certainly, you know, by the research doesn't look fantastic as it stands right now, um, but there seems to be a tipping of the scales towards um, the value of we need to begin to develop these people. Um, so internally, um, we we don't want you know their current role to be the ceiling of their experience here, um, and so uh, individualized you know kind of development plans, if you will, seem to be really picking up speed and popularity across industries, which I'm really encouraged by um, because it's beginning to narrow the focus um, again beyond just skill sets and goals and the bottom line um, to this person is a person who works for us and we want to make sure they're healthy uh, at the end of the day and they're growing both personally and professionally. So I'm loving that um, as a hopefully a potential trend and an uptick in the near future. Um, again, on the, the side that maybe is a bit concerning um, is not a new problem at all. It, it's really quite an old problem um, is managers. I, I think when you just assume the title, something seems to happen to the way you view that role, right? Um, the primary concerns are, are my team uh, showing up to the office on time and our deliverables, you know, hitting deadlines. And it just seems to be the, the black and white kind of nitty gritty. And those things matter. Right. Um, but what's communicated when that's the only thing that seems to get your energy and your focus is that these are not competent people that you've hopefully vetted really well and have full confidence that they are great at their job, right? Um, and so what, what happens when this is the only focus, when you know management is all they're responsible for, um, they lose great people because people don't want to be you know, managed, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Great employees, here's what I'm finding. <laughs> great employees hit deadlines. Uh, great employees make sure deliverables are top notch and great employees let me know what's happening before I need to know that that's happening, right? They're proactive in their communication. And so um, 
man, when managers only focus on the, you know, the day-to-day, the tasks, the deadlines, it just creates this, you know, really uh, just bleak culture of, you know, I'm not really sure why I do what I do. I'm not really sure if I'm being developed um, and I'm not really having a lot of fun along the way. Right. Mm. So let's come back to you personally. Um, You know, again, I want to kind of honor some of the confidentiality and kind of just look for the bigger themes. So, you know, let's look at the two churches that you kind of served as executive pastor. So the one new pastor gets hired, you're out in six weeks. Then, you know, the other church, you're the executive pastor. You know, there's, uh, you know, the the huge uh, moral failing, and then there's problems with that. So I, I guess, were you prepared for those moments as in, I could see issues in the culture that were pointing to this, or were they surprised of, hey, these were, looking back, I might not have saw this as a red flag, but now, you know, what were some of those big key things that you, and again, you were kind of top leadership, but you had an awareness, you know, what were some of those things to our listeners as you kind of think about this question that you're kind of looking back and like, oh man, that was huge. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I can uh, really speak more, you know, to that question in the uh, the second scenario. So the uh, uh, the instance where the pastor had a moral failing and um, just created a lot of um, unhealth uh, across the church and across the staff. But yeah, looking back, um, there there were red flags that. Uh, myself and other, you know, top leaders did notice when it came to level of accountability, um, hours in the office um, with other employees that didn't really seem to make sense. Um, and so just when, in, when accountability wasn't a part of something that was safeguarded at the top, um, it just, again, it was small things that began to add up over time. Um, and again, without going into, you know, a lot of the gory detail, um, I, the same question you asked about the, uh, the low level employee, that's, you know, afraid to go to their, their manager. Um, the only person above me was this person. And so I had to go to him (laughs) and go to our executive board and say, you know, Hey, I I've noticed this. I see this. I, I think this needs some investigation for the health of the church, for the health of our team, for the health of, you know, him in particular. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. I saw red flags along the way. Um, but th- that feeling of tension of, I, I don't want to upset the apple cart, um, was a real emotion that was at play along the way as well. And so, um, I learned a ton about accountability structures in that season. And, uh, and so in some way, in some ways I am thankful, um, that they can even be redeemed, uh, into the life of work, uh, for now. But, um, I wouldn't recommend, uh, that to anyone though. It was not a fun season. <laughs> well, let, let's kind of back up, um, <clears throat> to the other church where, you know, cause I, I think a lot of our listeners have probably walked through a company gets bought out. Um, there's new leadership, uh, you know, was that a job that, you know, now you look at and you say, I'm glad I'm, I'm gone and moved on. Or, you know, was it a place that you wanted to invest in or was it a little bit of both, you know, just kind of walk us through that and just, you know, how, 
how that all played out before maybe the months leading up to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was um, it was the first time in my career where I looked at my wife and uh, we had just had our first child um, where I looked at her and said, let's plant some roots here. Uh, let's purchase a home. Um, let's really be all in for this church, for this community. And we were moving that direction. And uh, again, about a month in and uh, the hard conversation where, you know, you have six weeks to find a new place to work <laughs> was now on the table. And so, um, yeah, for us, that that really wasn't uh, expected at all. Um, I don't know if I could have vetted any better than we did, um, but it was just one of those preferential leadership decisions that um, I, uh, I obviously at the time, I personally didn't agree or want to do that, but um, it was what was really set before us. And so, um, yeah, I had no intention of, of moving on. I really loved the role. I loved the community, um, loved the opportunity there for, uh, for our church to be on mission in that context specifically. And so, um, but yeah, man, that was, that was hard. And I'm sure translates to, you know, multiple industries and, and contexts as well. So let, let's kind of come back to, you know, your current position, um, because I, I think people, so growing up where IBM was, um, I've, I've done like a lot of reflecting, um, and uh, Lou Gerstner, who is the CEO, like, I mean, he sold IBM out of Endicott and I started listening to the story and started seeing that there was 20 years of mismanagement and he just ended up kind of being the person that set it straight. And so like, I, I just, I have some perspective of what my family went through and, but with you, and I, I bring that up just a little bit because, you know, I get the sense that you didn't necessarily want to go back into pastoring you know, there was a, you were kind of happy where you are and here you are today. And sometimes like the worst things that happen actually open up different opportunities. So I'd be curious, kind of, you know, tell our listeners about this process, about coming to back to state college, coming to your home church, you know, what, what was that like? You know, what were the challenges and struggles and, you know, where are you at today work-wise of what you're trying to figure out based on your experience? Yeah, and I, you are exactly right. I um, after those moments, I had no intention of staying in vocational ministry um, really at all. I I thought perhaps you know it was a good run. You know we tried our best, but um, I uh, we went through two hard situations, and um, just emotionally and as a family, uh, we weren't up for a third. And so um, moving into an HR specific role after that, I, I mentioned that I called that kind of my working sabbatical, um, to where I, I, I really was not leading a congregation at all. I was not engaging even with like church mission stuff or, uh, any of the behind the scenes stuff that typically would be in a pastoral role. Um, it was strictly HR and, uh, it was so freeing for my mind. Uh, I was in that role for about nine months. Um, just to really begin the process. Here's everything that we've experienced over the past five years. Um, here's the hurts, the pains, the bumps, the bruises, um, and had to really take some intentional time um, beside my, my wife to unpack a lot of the anxiety that came with, you know, can I trust church leaders? 
Um, can I trust Christians? Um, do I, it, again, talk about deconstruction. It really just caused so many, um, I would say, good questions just about what do we believe and how do we live and why do we do this, right? Um, and so it was over a short amount of time, relatively speaking, but I'm so thankful for that nine months because at the end of it, um, really felt um, solidified that, like, yes, I, I want to put my hand to the plow in a vocational sense when it comes to ministry. Um, but I also learned in that season, um, again, as mentioned, just so much about what makes people tick in the workplace, um, what's actually valuable when it comes to how we work and why we work. And so, um, quite frankly, I would have never started my company um, if we didn't take those hits and bumps and bruises uh, in the previous five years. Um, and so, again, it just really uh, I, thankful looking back um, because it landed us where we're at. And so currently um, I am uh, in a lead pastor seat in a small church in a rural community uh, in a part time capacity. Um, and the majority of my time is spent um, in, a, in a consulting type role where I'm talking about the world of work specifically for local churches. And um, I know seasons don't last forever, but the season we're in right now, uh, absolutely loving. I love it. Um, I love these people. I love leading. I love teaching and I love consulting. And so uh, I'm hoping it's a long season. Let's come back to that nine months because I, I kind of want to hear from you what you're trying at the church too. So I want to kind of get there. But, um, you know, many of our listeners, uh, you know, you pick your favorite Christian leader that's fallen. Um, you know, it's disorienting. You know, I'll, I'll even throw out there. You probably have listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Uh, tell us what that nine yeah. months of yeah. healing looked like you know, from, you know, you and your wife with therapy, with like, what, what was the big, I mean, was there, was there ever a point where you're just like, I'm so done with church or, you know, just kind of help our listeners kind of realize, cause I think many of them are even listening to this podcast because they have hurt and they have pain. How did you walk through that in those last nine months? Yeah, that's a great question. And so um, in the spirit of transparency, Peter, I uh, I didn't even attend church for about six of those nine months. Wow. I, I was just so broken and beat up and really burnt out. Um, I don't think I wanted to admit that at the time, um, but the energy that I expended in leading our staff and our congregation through um, a moral failing at the top that just had so many just negative, unhealthy effects across. We were a multi-site church, um, so across our various campuses, it was it was a large mess. Um, and so to clean that up, um, I really just gave all that I had, and I had nothing left. And so um, the, really the first three months were, like you said, you spent talking to somebody who's trained to have these conversations um, where I can just bear my soul. So my wife and I, um, again, in counseling saying, you know, I, here's what we experienced. Um, I, I hate the church. I hate these people. I, you know, all the, all the feelings. <laughs> and so began processing those um, really at a soul level. Um, and then from there, just getting around um, just, just some mentors that we had trusted from years past where we could um, say, you know, hey, you're still in ministry. I don't think I ever want to do that again. Um, help me maybe unpack how you're still there. Some of these guys have taken some bumps and bruises as well. 
And so even just hearing stories of people that uh, survived those types of things and, and didn't bail entirely uh, was just so encouraging for us, really pointed that, you know, there is some hope on the other side of hard things. Um, but in the middle, taking space to uh, even allow Jesus to form me in the middle of, you know, my rebellion and my hurt and my anxiety and, you know, everything in between. Um, I uh, I don't know if it was the, the right approach, but I'm thankful that it was a season where we got to unpack some hard things. So, um, so there's a lot, like, first of all, why did you come back? Um, and what did that look like? And then, you know, what did you do on Sunday morning for the six months? <laughs> yeah, man, that's, uh, so for those six months, um, this is probably horrible to say. I'm, I'm a pastor now, but <laughs> I, uh, I played with my kids. Uh, we went for walks. I mowed my lawn um, and I, I did nothing. Mm. Like I just, you know, I was at home with the family, um, not engaged in a local church. Um, and really, I convinced myself like in my at the soul level almost that, you know, what I'm doing is okay and it's healing. But uh, for a while, you know, we were having conversations with uh, some professionals, which is super helpful. Um, But I lacked community. Mm. Uh, I had no one around me um, that was processing this at a soul level, on a faith level. I wasn't putting my hurt through the lens of the gospel. And so I think what our downfall was in the middle of that was I I wasn't being formed in a gospel sense, um, but I was beginning to unpack some of the hurt. And so we saw God's hand in the middle of it in in some way, which was really awesome, you know. Um, But what I lacked was other people um, around me, encouraging me, encouraging my wife and my kids. And so um, we came back because uh, by the end of this stint, I... I quite honestly, I missed teaching the Bible. I just mm. missed it so much. Um, I missed people. Um, I missed um, being in a worship service where we're all doing the same thing. I just missed that. And so um, the opportunity to be in the seat that I'm in now wasn't actually one that I pursued at all. Um, I got a call from um, somebody that attends our church um, now and said, you know, hey, our founding pastor is is moving on. Would you be interested in the role? And uh, at first, I said no. Like, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know if I'm ready. I had a, a lot of anxiety about that. Right? Um, I was not attending church, <laughs> um, but uh, my wife and I, we took some time um, again, just to just to actually, and I don't mean this as a pastoral answer, but just genuinely pray mm. together. Uh, and with some people that we trusted, you know, is this a step for us? And uh, we felt more and more convinced um, that it was a yes. And so we started conversations. Um, so a few months of, of conversations and interviews and sitting down with elders. And I will say I, I have to uh, I have to give like a shout out to our leadership team, because the questions I asked them just based on my hurt um, were so raw and real and, but they answered it with just such grace. And so, 
um, I wanted to know, you know, what's the culture actually like? Um, what's uh, what's the most recent, you know, tragedy or upsetting thing that the church has walked through? Mm. Is there any places of disunity? You know, all the things that we've walked through, I didn't want to go in blind, right? Um, and so it's, uh, again, long story short, we're in the seat where we are today because um, we asked what I felt to be just really raw questions um, and felt good about this is the next step where I can use my gifts and be in a passion seat, if you will, um, and really see uh, the gospel move forward in a unique way. Last question kind of about this, then I kind of want to hear, like I said, what, what you're doing differently kind of in the lead chair role. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking about our listeners um, either have been hurt by the church, hurt by their job. And I, I, I think the the question for you personally, and then to kind of give our listen, like, would you do the six months again, you know, the same way that you did it, or would you do it differently? Because I think there there's a level of, you know, our listener, like, sometimes it's hard to just go back to church, and there's a lot of pain there. Sometimes it's, you know, stick it out. And even, you know, you think about different jobs and different industries. Should I, should I just jump back in? Why don't you start personally? How would you have done those six months away from church differently? And then how would you advise someone, whether it's their job, the church or Christianity, about when you make that change or resignation, what does it look like to give yourself time and space? Yeah, I, uh, I would do that, that stint differently, um, for sure. I, um, I found so much value in having conversations, um, with professional counselors that, um, was just so helpful and healing to myself and our family. Um, I would keep that part. Um, but I didn't know I needed people until I needed people. Mm. Uh, and so being away from, um, other followers of Jesus, I just, just felt this lack of accountability and formation and, um, what was really disturbing kind of in the middle of the season, um, really to the heart of the whole thing was I didn't have anybody outside of my spouse asking me the hard questions about my life. Um, mm. I had nobody tracking with me saying, you know what, hey, I, I see this in you. I don't think that's who you are. What can we do about that? Right. Um, so I, I was lacking those those conversations. And so if I were to go back, um, I would have been in a small group setting of some kind where I can know others and I can be known. Um, that would have been paramount. Uh, and I would have been in a local gathering on a Sunday morning, even if it was just begrudgingly. Um, I would have been the guy that looked miserable, that had his arms folded and refused to sing. Um, but I think something happens when you're in the room. Right. Hmm. Um, and so I again, if I were to go back, I would have not disengaged um, with my faith community. I would have pressed in all the more. Um, I think healing would have looked a little bit different in that season. I'm not sure um, if the outcome would be any different, but I think maybe the speed at which I was willing to be vulnerable and around people, hopefully that would have changed a lot. So um, what would you say to someone about space and time? So I think part of what you're saying is, you know, yeah. uh, you, you do need space and time, but you need community also. So even with, you know, say someone's, yeah. you know, re resigned from a job, you know, what would you kind of say to them? Hey, this is how much space and time to think about. 
um, you know, even just kind of with church space and time, what would you advise them to think about? Yeah, I, I think it's always both. And, uh, mm. to be honest, I look at like the needs of, uh, just the human heart. Um, if we go through a season where we're faced with a, a resignation or a transition, um, that's, that's hard, right? That creates a lot of tension that creates a lot of emotions that, uh, can be hard to process and deal with. Um, so to do that void of community, um, of any size, really, I, I would say is, is not the most helpful to the human experience. And so to disengage from, especially a faith community, uh, I just feel like people just lack opportunity to be formed in the middle of seasons that are hard. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so as as followers of Jesus, even I, I would say that those are times where all the more um, where, you know, I'm walking through something that might not be the time to, to serve on every team. Right. But it would be a time to, to be in a group of Jesus followers that can speak into your life um, and have permission to ask you the real questions. Right. Um, and so it's we don't like that at the heart level, um, but I think we we ultimately need that. Mm. I really appreciate your transparency. I think that that's really going to speak to a lot of our audience. So you're in the lead pastor position, you know, you're the kind of head consultant, you know, you've already talked about, you know, with your staff that, um, you know, the staff you serve that you're doing one-on-one -on -one meetings. So kind of based on your experience, paint us a picture of what you're trying to do differently in your role right now, you know, as you lead individuals and, kind of go from there, give us a sense on the boots on the ground. Yeah, no, absolutely. So going back to uh, the, the hard season um, where I learned a lot about accountability um, for really from day one, we structured things in a way where I, uh, I'm accountable to my leadership team, um, not only for my performance, uh, but for my health. Um, and so they, um, on a monthly basis, ask me about my marriage, about my kids. Um, they ask me about, uh, am I in a community where I'm being formed as a disciple? And if I'm not, um, they push me in that direction. Um, they ask me about uh, just mental health things as well. When's the last time I talked to somebody professionally? Um, maybe even if I, I don't feel like I need it, but just to stay healthy, right? Um, and so what we gave them um, from the beginning, and this was incredibly vulnerable. Um, we said, you have all out permission to ask me all the hard questions not only about my job, but about my life, hmm. um, because I, I want to make sure that I'm a, a healthy pastor that leads healthy people. And so um, that was one change we, we really tried to implement almost immediately. Um, and those uh, the, the people on this um, the team have been fantastic. Um, it was honestly probably uncomfortable for them uh, more so than it was even for me. Um, just because this is a, not a typical dynamic in a uh, more of a board pastor type relationship. Um, but we've seen a lot of just cool fruit that's come out of that. Um, on the employee side, um, we've really tried to structure our one-on-one. -on so we have one-on-ones, um, individual meetings um, every week. And what we try to talk about um, are really, we call them the big rocks. And so um, what were your goals? Um, did you check anything off the personal side or the professional side uh, for the week? Um, what's coming up? Um, what's on the plate? Just the practical things. Um, and have you rested well? 
Um, so that's when they have um, just a blank slate to talk about um, if the weekend was hectic and they're not coming in as their best self. Um, do you need an extra hour? Do you need to go home early? Do you need to go on a walk? Do you need to work remotely? Um, so we've really pivoted our philosophy on, on work as a whole in the office. Uh, we're completely outcomes driven. And so if you are meeting the mark, um, you have full trust from me and our leadership team to do your job wherever you want. Um, I'm fully convinced that even in the church space, uh, so much can be done flexibly, um, whether that's from home or at a coffee shop or wherever. And I feel like that really resonates uh, with the people that work for us. And so um, we, we say we're going we're gonna to look at outcomes. We're going to focus on your health personally. Um, and healthy employees, they create great deliverables. And so um, it's been really neat to see, uh, especially in the, I don't know if we can call it a post-COVID season, but whatever side of the conversation we're on now, um, it's really seeming to pick up some good traction. That's awesome. Um, man, this conversation went by really, really fast, Isaac. Uh, I just uh, I just really appreciate it. So let, let's do this. Um, you know, we you've, I mean, you've given our listeners a lot to think about. So um, the question that we always end with, uh, so I'll answer it, and then you'll be able to clean up the mess from where it is, um, you know, is what would Jesus say about why do I hate my job? Um, so yeah, does, does that sound good? Do you mind cleaning up my mess? It's only recorded for a thousand people to listen I to. I would love it. <laughs> okay, that's perfect. No pressure. Great. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think of how modern this problem really is. Uh, I, I think we forget that Jesus worked as a carpenter before he did what we call itinerant ministry. And, you know, I think about Paul who wrote the majority of the new Testament, you know, there was times that he was a part-time pastor, part-time tent maker. And, you know, I, I think about that and how powerful that is that when Jesus is even talking about the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's not doing that as a sage on the stage. He's doing that as a guide on the side. And so, you know, I think what I'm hearing yeah. from this question is, uh, you know, there there's two things. Number one, there's a spiritual engagement of your job um, about what it's doing to your soul, what it's doing to your mind, um, and to, to just be aware of that. And then there's a spiritual disengagement. Um, and, and I think what that looks like is, you know, the Bible talks about Sabbath, the Bible talks about rest. And so, you know, before you make that huge decision, you know, I'm going to go back to what one of my mentors said to me, it shouldn't be a surprise that you resigned. It shouldn't be a surprise that you're transitioning and leaving and to get the most out of the situation. And, you know, I, I don't want to throw a cliche out, but, you know, I look at your story and there's some things in the way that you lead that if you had never experienced, you probably wouldn't lead the way you are. And I can kind of go on and on about what I experienced, whether it was Christian organizations or non-Christian organizations that, that God has a way of redeeming those, that it's changing the way that I'm leading. So, you know, I think I would just challenge our listeners, you know, thinking about the fruit of the spirit, thinking about the Beatitudes, love, joy, peace, patience. How are you engaging that currently, even in a job that you hate? How are you disengaging 
to help you remember that, you know, the job is not the most important thing to your identity. Yeah, I love that, man. That's that's fantastic. I couldn't help but think of the idea of cultivating kingdom as you're talking. Um, that as a follower of Jesus, you know, work isn't just another box, mm. you know, in our life, but um, it's another outlet where the kingdom can be cultivated and actualized while we're in this, you know, now, but not yet. Um, and so we get to see the, the grace of Jesus on display in the way that we work, in the way that we rest, in the way that we have friends, in the way that we engage community. It's, it's really more of a whole life surrendered to this, this bigger kingdom than just, I hate this part of my job, right? Um, and it's jobs will come and go, but we, man, what an opportunity to just cultivate something bigger than ourselves in the world of work as a follower of Jesus. That's a great place to end, Isaac. Let me, um, where's the best place that people can find you and look you up besides LinkedIn? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, besides LinkedIn. Um, so the, the company is just named uh, after my last name. So balbinconsultinggroup.com. Um, you can check us out there. Um, I'm on social media as well, but as a dad, not very active. So, <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, you can find us at the whygotawhypodcast.com. Click the subscribe button. You'll get this episode and many others. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.